I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. There's such a wide variety of symptoms that can come out due to parasitic infection. Teeth grinding and clenching, that's a huge one. I think a lot of people don't correlate with that. Parasites can manipulate, steal, and inhibit a lot of our neurotransmitters. We will do like um, anywhere between four to six weeks of a parasite detox three different times in the year. When you do a parasite cleanse, your poop is going to be interesting to say the least. Oh, are you ready for this one? That everyone is Melissa Ramos. She's a nutritionist with a background in Chinese medicine and is the owner of Sexy Food Therapy. And one of the things that Melissa does with her clients is helps people deal with parasites. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll understand that I am extremely interested and extremely concerned with parasites because we are learning that parasites can be the root causes of extremely detrimental health issues. In this episode, we talk about if you have a pulse, you have a parasite, how parasites leave the body and what happens, what do they look like, what are the types, how you need to flush biofilms and take binders before and during parasite cleanses. We talk about some of the symptoms that can be associated with parasites. We cover coffee enemas and everything in between. This is a mind-blowing podcast that I know you are going to love. Welcome everyone who's brand new. This is a big time Buckle up, pay attention, take some notes, and if you love this content, if this really speaks to you, if you get a lot of value out of this, I ask two things. One, leave me a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening, and also support the sponsors. Listen to the ads because they are products that I love, that I've tested, and that I support wholeheartedly. I'm so glad you're here. You could be anywhere on the internet. There are so many great podcasts, but you're here with me and I appreciate that. You can always find me at seanmccormick.com or on Instagram at realseanmccormick. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Melissa Ramos. Melissa Ramos, Sexy Food Therapy. Thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks for having me. I was just about to break down and start crying and wringing my hands and freaking the fuck out about parasites. It's, it's now part of so many conversations that I have, so many interviews that I have from people, you know, Rob Stewart, who's like a skin eczema health recovery yep. expert, a combo therapy, which is the toad venom that you put on your skin, which is peptides, which is anti-heavy metals and anti-viral fungal, anti-parasitic. Um, I mean, I did an episode with David Avocado Wolf a couple of months ago, and it was just like... We're talking about archons and um, parasites, all turtles all the way down. Just ev- they're everywhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, you you speak so clearly and so specifically and tactically about parasites. Maybe just give everyone sort of your unique approach on how you think about it and how you experience and how you work through parasites in your life. Okay. So we all have them. I think that's the first thing to understand. There's a a saying in the functional medical community that if you have a pulse, you have a parasite and it's true. Now, the thing to understand that's really important to this entire equation is to understand that not all parasites are going to produce symptoms. So the host, us, and how we function and show up in our lives greatly matter. So for example, 
if you know you you have this really long period of work, you are burning the candle at both ends and you're like, oh, there's a vacation coming up. I got to tie up all the loose ends so I could finally go on vacation. And then you go on vacation. And what happens? You get sick. Yeah. And I think a part of that comes up to things are catching up. Now, this has happened to me where I did a, a launch, for example, with the program. I was like hustling, doing all the things. And then as soon as it was done, that's when I got sick. And that's when the parasites that I did have in my system really acted up because I was in this vulnerable state, right? Now, this isn't to say, and we're going to talk more about this, this isn't to say that you shouldn't do annual maintenance parasitic detoxes, which I feel that everybody should do versus someone who's in a chronic health condition, they may require more and longer uh, parasitic detoxifying protocols just for an interim until we can get them to a better state of health. But we know that why somebody is sick, I always say it's like a marriage that falls apart. It's never one thing. This is why I stopped saying root cause because it gives this implication that one thing led to their health issues and it's simply not the case. There's a bunch of causative factors, right? So with parasitic detoxification, why do we have them? We have them from a, a variety of different avenues that we can dive into, but it doesn't always cause symptoms. And for other people, the symptoms that it does cause can be all these symptoms that you wouldn't have correlated to parasites. One that we see most often, because I work primarily with women, is anemia. Mm. Parasites feed off of iron. So oftentimes we'll see ferritin, which is the measurement for how much iron your body is storing, will be low. And it's my full belief that the body is this remarkably intelligent vessel that knows when to shunt cortisol because it's like, hey, there's this pathogen here. We got to shunt this down so it doesn't gobble up this iron. So we're going to shunt it down as a protective response. So we'll see a lot of women, you know, go on iron supplementation to iron supplementation and iron supplementation does feed parasites. Now I'm not saying don't take iron because the form matters, but I think it's important to address why that ferritin is always shunted, right? And so that's one of the many symptoms that oftentimes we don't correlate with parasites, or there could be other symptoms like mental health issues that people don't correlate oftentimes because they're told a different story or because it's simply normalized that, well, this is just how I am. My mom had this, right? My, my grandmother had depressive episodes. Therefore, I have this, right? Um, so I think that there's just, there's such a wide variety of symptoms that can come out due to parasitic infection, but oftentimes they don't cause any symptoms. And some of them that they do cause can be kind of mysterious for a lot of people. Super interesting. I, 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 I'm fascinated and thankful for the distinction between, you know, someone who has like an autoimmune issue or, you know, you know, deep depressive episodes that may be, may be directly correlated or just affected or enhanced by a parasitic infection versus someone who is pretty, you know, maybe lean, strong, sleeps well, clear thinking highly effective, but it maybe has some gut stuff or, you know, occasionally, um, you know, 
feels low energy, which which could also be in a different approach for the way that we sort of handle or think about you know parasites and their role in our performance. So I think that that's really that's really super interesting. Um, and man, you're already blowing my mind. This this the the sort of generational thought of well, my mom was like this, and my grandmother was like this, or had this. Um, what a great place to start. Um, what are the different types of parasites? So they come in different categories. So the categories are the protozoans. And those are the ones that we're not seeing pictures on social media of because these are the microscopic ones, okay? They still can cause a lot of issues. So those are the protozoans. And then we have the helminths. And the helminth category are the worms. Um, the, the ones that we see photos of on social media, people go, oh my God, this is what I've eliminated. Or the liver flukes also fall in the helminth category. And liver flukes are very fascinating because they burrow in the liver and the gallbladder. and when we eliminate them, they can really look like a variety of different things. They can look like yellow blobs. They um, small. They can look like rolled up tomato skins um, that could be red in color. They could be yellow in color. I'm on a parasite uh, detox right now. Um, and I had eliminated one from my coffee enema that I did. And it looked like it was a rolled up piece of plastic. And I'm like, what? what is this? And it's a fluke. Um, there's also eggs as well um, that oftentimes when we people will rely on stool testing for uh, testing for parasites, which I think is um, really short-sighted because there's a lot of problems with stool testing that often misses a lot of parasites. But the helminth category is one that we see the photos on social media. The third category is ectoparasites. And so ectoparasites are the types of parasites where they live outside of their host. So those are the blood-sucking arthropods. So things like ticks, mosquitoes and those end up like ticks for example um will bite onto a human and then they will transmit a bacteria but the tick itself is considered an ectoparasite so this is where it can get kind of confusing because people go well the ticks can give the the bacteria borrelia that leads to lyme i'm like yes but the tick itself is technically considered an ectoparasite so when we are working on parasites, um, oftentimes people will always expect something to be eliminated to see something as a measure of success. And that's just simply not the case all the time. So you have to remember that. Um, you know, and as I mentioned, I don't think stool testing is is a very accurate form because what most people don't realize is that parasites, many of them secrete an enzyme that after you've, you've you know, you've pooped, they secrete an enzyme that causes them to self-dissolve within 24 hours. So imagine you are picking, if you've ever done a stool test, you will know you get something that looks like a burrito bowl and you have to poop in it and you have to take various parts of that poop and put it in a little sample. But problem number one, it's only testing for the parts of the stool that you picked. Problem number two is that some parasites secrete that enzyme that causes some of them to self-dissolve within 24 hours. Problem number three is that um, lab technicians are in shortage in some areas of North America. 
And problem number four, some of them are just not simply trained enough to be able to evaluate for even when parasites are in their ova stage, which is their egg stage as well, because there's a reproductive cycle there. So there's a whole host of things. And I really think a good practitioner is going to see it, um, parasites and um, the evaluation of them from different diagnostic methods. You simply cannot rely on one mm -hmm. way. Um, and if you do, this is where things are going to fall very short-sighted. Today's episode is brought to you by Primal Health Coach Institute. Created by the godfather of the paleo and primal movement, Mark Sisson, with the mission to develop highly skilled health coaches who can make their passion for health a fulfilling and abundant career. The Primal Health Coach Institute is a program renowned for offering the most in-depth and up-to-date ancestral health education in the world. It doesn't just create health experts, it certifies health coaches who are true catalysts for behavior change by providing robust coaching education that empowers you to coach with confidence. What I think is one of the most important aspects of the Primal Health Coach Institute is business knowledge and marketing resources that ensure their certified Primal Health Coaches have the best business know-how and marketing resources to thrive in the wellness industry. Go to primalhealthcoach.com forward slash optimal performance and use the code OPTIMAL25 for 25% off tuition. That's primalhealthcoach.com forward slash optimal performance and use the code OPTIMAL25 for 25% off tuition. Go check it out. Hmm. Okay, I definitely want to get into the, the process and practical sort of step-by-step -step for figuring this thing out, which sounds like it can be a long confusing, befuddling, and arduous journey, the sheer fact that there are microscopic protozoan parasites inside me that I can't see makes this so much more frustrating because like, how do you know? How do you know if you got them? How do you know if you didn't get them out? If you didn't excrete them? Like it is, is it are by now is there a best practices? Is there like, is this been, have, have we known about these long enough and, and studied and tested and, and tried this uh, sort of anti-parasitic approach for long enough that there is like a conventional best practices? I think that there's an order to healing first mm. and foremost. Um, so several things on there. There's an order to healing, which the way that we practice clinically is that first we open up drainage pathways. So your drainage pathways are all your elimination pathways, your poopers, your colon, your liver and your bile ducts, your lymphatic system, um, your lungs are a drainage pathway as well. Um, you know, your kidneys, et cetera. Those have to be moving because when you kill off parasites, they actually, they actually sequester eight times their body weight and toxicity. So if you don't, if you come into practice and you're like, I have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or I have candida, these are the, the two big issues that we see in practice where people are spinning their wheels, spending a lot of money with a lot of practitioners. And the reason why that, that happens is because they've been addressing that first, whereas drainage needs to come first and then parasites and drainage still has to happen during that parasitic phase. In fact, drainage has to happen right until you're old and gray because trying to detox with, you know, the door is shut is like trying to kick out 
the drunk guy from the bar with the doors locked. It doesn't work, right? Like <laughs> you have to have the doors open and you have to have the doors open to lead a healthy, happy life. So that's really crucial. But because parasites sequester so much, when you kill them off, um, the symptoms following killing them off can be quite challenging on an individual. They can get Herx reactions and a true Herx reaction lasts between two to three days. Anything further from two to three days simply means that the protocol might be just too strong and they need to reduce their dose. So some people will go, oh my God, I feel like death. It's been a week. And I'm like, that's not really a Herx reaction. That just might be your protocol's too strong, right? So I think in terms of best practices, order of healing matters. I think the other thing is to look at the symptoms and individuals coming in. So if someone has an autoimmune condition uh, or what I call an autoimmune associated condition, so things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, these are you know conditions where women come in and say, well, you know, I was told that I have high estrogen. Sure, that's probably at play, but your hormones are just messengers, right? So what's affecting them? And there's more than enough studies to show the immune dysregulation that occurs within a lot of these conditions that then offsets those horm that hormone balance. Like you don't have endo growing like crazy just because high, there's high estrogen. Sure, that causes it to proliferate, but it, it's not what caused it. So that's certainly one of the areas. Hormones as well. I always think parasites are a big starting ground for women who are struggling with hormones and autoimmune conditions, but mental health has a huge role in that because parasites can manipulate, steal, and inhibit a lot of our neurotransmitters, GABA, serotonin, um, a plethora, dopamine, like all these neurotransmitters that can be affected just simply based on um, parasites at play. Um, even when you're doing parasitic detoxification, it's not uncommon sometimes to feel like we're tingling or cramping pains. Like I, I've gotten them in my like liver and gallbladder region where it just starts to kind of cramp a bit. I know something's going to be released. I know it's going to be released. And sure enough, a couple of days later by opening up the doors, i.e. a coffee enema, for example, I see it, mm. you know? Um, so there's many, many, um, things and I usually feel that parasites are an integral first step. And if we know that everybody has them, why wouldn't we focus it as one of the primary steps? They sequester bacteria, they sequester mycotoxins from mold, from candida, heavy metals. And, you know, we hear this term, for example, adrenal fatigue. I've got adrenal fatigue. Sure. If you're burning the candle at both, end, both ends, you're not sleeping, you're going to be burnt out. But then you have the subset of individuals who come into practice and they're like on this truckload of supplements of all these adrenal supplements. And they're like, but I'm doing the meditation. I'm doing the breath work. I'm doing the things, but I still, my cortisol levels are still like, you know, flatlined. Why? Sure. Your circadian rhythms can be imbalanced. Sure. There could be these things happening, but for once, can we just give our bodies a little bit of the benefit of the doubt? There are these remarkable vessels that are quite intelligent. The body is shunting cortisol for a reason, a protective mechanism, whether it's elevated or it's low. And stress is not just mental stress. Stress is, stress is also physical stress. The body doesn't know how to interpret like, oh yeah, it was my mother-in-law who pissed me off versus it's this you know, internal parasite that is also pissing off my body that's leading to a level of stress. So in my opinion, it's always the first starting point. And when mm -hmm. you have chronic health conditions, 
you know, depending on the individual, um, we will do like um, anywhere between four to six weeks of a parasite detox. Um, and we'll probably do that like three different times in the year with the individual and then retest them with blood um, as one of the uh, ways that we evaluate um, parasites uh, through various markers that we can talk about. And then we also use the bioresonance test, which a lot of people will push back on and go, oh my God, that sounds so woo. But there's a reason why we also switched to that. And I can talk about that as well. Um, for an individual who's in pretty good health and they're like, you know, I, I, should I be detoxing parasites? My answer would be, yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, we can get parasites through toilet seats, through uh, we go to a restaurant, the food hasn't been washed properly are washed with water that wasn't filtered. I have two dogs. I'm not going to stop kissing them. Um, I live in the mountains. Um, you know, we have glacier fed lakes here. I go into the lakes. That's not going to stop. Or you go to a swimming pool or you have kids who go into daycares. Like there's a, you know, you have sex, like there's a multitude of ways we can contract them, but a healthy individual, you can do minier ones around the full moon. For example, when parasites are more active um, around the full moon as shorter cleanses for maybe about a week or two, and that would completely suffice, you know, and I think somebody who's in good health could get blood work done once a year, not a bad idea, but if you are chronically struggling with your health, whether autoimmune or hormonal, it's a good idea to go get blood work done probably every six months, you know, so those are some of the the ways are kind of more of a long-winded answer to that, but <laughs> all the ways yeah. in which uh, they affect us. Yeah, that's the, well, and we're, we're, we barely scratched the surface, right? Um, yeah. I, 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 I definitely do want to go step-by-step -step for, you know, what the process is, uh, because I think it's, it's important for people to hear. And, you know, I'm familiar with a couple of different products that, that are available, you know, to, to go about it, but it just seems, it also seems so super confusing. I want to go back to um, this idea that if you're a person in pretty good health, male or female, you and we all know that we have parasites. You, you have a dog, and you don't you don't you, you just feel good. You feel like you're yourself. You know you're able to do all the things you love to do. You you did mention some things that you could do that are a week long, just to be like, hey, let's just cover your bases. It's a good idea to do this occasionally. You know, one of those things that I heard you say is uh, a coffee enema, and another one is like a a, a a week long approach, going to the full moon. Just because I'm so fascinated by both of those both of those, of those things, can we maybe start there as like, okay, like you're cool, you're pretty cool, but you should do some things occasionally because you have parasites and you should take care of them. In, 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 in maybe a slow or subtle way, beginner way, let's maybe, let's maybe unpack the power of coffee enemas first. And then let's yeah. talk about this parasite activity on the full moon. Yeah. So coffee enemas are interesting in the perspective that they widen bile ducts, um, which is really important because then it allows for the smooth flow of bile. Bile is produced from your liver. It is then secreted from your gallbladder. And every time I say that, people will say, yeah, but I've had my gallbladder removed. And I'm like, yes, but then your gallbladder is replaced with a cystic duct and the underlying causative factors for why the gallbladder was removed is still as an opportunity there waiting to be addressed. You still have sluggish, muddy bile. And a lot of people, especially women over the age of 35 have sluggish bile flow 
just due to increased cholesterol deposits, increased levels of estrogen that makes the bile a little bit thicker and sludgier. So moving bile is remarkably important. Otherwise, we develop things like skin issues, mental health issues, uh, anemia, like all sorts of stuff, uh, more gut infections because bile is an antibacterial. So we need to move bile. Um, coffee enemas are awesome for that. So um, one of the things that I like to do with coffee enemas also for the fact that they also help to increase glutathione status, glutathione being, I always call it the grandmaster daddy poopa guy to um, detox the liver. Um, I like to add things to my coffee enema. So um, the coffee that I use is from S.A. Wilson. So S is in Sam, A is in, I don't know, Apple, S.A. Wilson. And um, it's not drinkable coffee, just for reference for people listening. Um, and so I, the standard dose is about three tablespoons of that stuff. But if you're sensitive to caffeine, you could go as small as like a half a teaspoon or one teaspoon of it. Um, if you're super duper sensitive to caffeine, you can do a very basic um, uh, enema flush that is one quart of warm distilled water. And you always want to use distilled. Um, and then you can add in like two tablespoons of unpasteurized apple cider vinegar. And that's a really good like tonifier because some people legitimately have issues with caffeine and when you're you know introducing it rectally um the caffeine doesn't feel like gut rot as you would drink coffee for some like on an empty stomach but it definitely is stimulating uh the other things that i i like to the things that i like to add to it are tutka so tutka is an incredible supplement that is also amazing to help to widen bile ducts um, so I'll use the one from Cellcore, Advanced Tudka. I'll open up two capsules. I'll put it in my uh, coffee enema. Um, advanced approaches to uh, adding things to your coffee enema are things like malic acid crystals. Not to be confused with opening up a capsule of malic acid. You actually have to get just pure malic acid. Um, and starting off with as like little as like one eighth of a teaspoon to put it in there because that also helps with those that bile ducts and it also helps to soften gallstones and soften things that are trying to leave from those bile ducts making the elimination process a little bit easier my uh my colleague says that she adds malic acid she's like it's like opening up the depths of hell because it it definitely um you will see things um so there's all these ways to to um better lack of words, fortify uh, your coffee enema. Um, I also have uh, a bubbler from a company called Ferrisage um, and it ozonates water. It's a super inexpensive little machine. Um, and I, I bubble uh, water when I'm like washing uh, produce, for example, because we talked about how that's one of the ways that parasites, we can contract parasites is through improper handling of food. Um, so you can also bubble the water that you're, your produce is sitting in, but you could also use that same bubbler to ozonate the water from your coffee enemas. Cause when you ozonate, you're adding in oxygen um, molecules into the water that can really help to destroy a lot of uh, pathogens that thrive uh, without the presence of oxygen. Mm. Uh, so that's one of the things that I do. And when someone's on a protocol, like for myself, for example, I'll do probably two coffee enemas in the week um, when I'm on a protocol and when I'm not on a protocol, I probably do maybe one to two a month, um, depending. And truthfully, I would never put somebody on an anti-parasitic protocol without either a cough, the enema at the very least, or a colonic. 
And the reason why that I say that is because when you do a parasite cleanse, your poop is going to be interesting to say the least. It might be smelly, <laughs> it might be loose, but you also might get constipated. I think a big part is because I have such a, a, a visual mem a visual, like I have a photographic memory. I think see things in pictures. I always picture these parasites with like little protest signs saying, hell no, we won't go. And they do not want to leave your body because they 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 want to stay in their host to survive, right? So they can constipate you. I'm not a constipated kind of gal, but when I'm on a parasite cleanse, there's been times in the past where I've been on it where I have felt wickedly constipated. And remember, they sequester eight times their body weight and toxicity. So when you're killing parasites, it's like these little bombs of toxicity going off in your body. You have to open that door. So a colonic is remarkably important. So if you were on a protocol for say four weeks, I would strongly suggest getting one to two colonics during that period. If you're on a protocol for say just a week because you're doing something maintenance, I would strongly suggest a, a, you know, two coffee enemas that week, or, you know, if you can, a colonic in that week. And you really will help quite a bit of the symptoms that you may experience uh, during that period of detoxification. Mm -hmm. Before we go into the uh, parasites on the full moon, what is the risk of using the wrong coffee for a coffee enema? So great question. So um, one is that many um, coffee is a highly sprayed crop and we don't want to be putting that up our butts. We don't also, there's a lot of mycotoxins. Uh, so uh, mycotoxins are the toxins produced from mold. Um, and it and coffee can be a very moldy crop. So you got to be a little bit careful in getting something that is, there are many companies um, that manufacture specifically coffee for the purpose of enemas um, and that show a level of purity um, in their processing. S.A. Wilson is one that I just always use. It has a really good reputation. I don't have any affiliate towards them at all, but it's just what we've always used in practice. What what do what do the critics or haters say about the risks of coffee enemas? Um, some critics will say, you know, this doesn't work. <laughs> uh, you don't need to detox. Like I think it sometimes it goes back to that your body can detox on its own, and it can. But like we live in a very different world than we did, you know, even fifty years ago. Um, that it can be harmful. Um, Truth be told, there's there's a, a lot of benefits to it that we see, and like especially clinically, the proof is in the pudding. So, I mean, a lot of naysayers will say the same thing with with parasites. It's like, well, we don't have parasites, and it's just it's just simply not the case. It's like we see the improvements in our patients go from someone who's had horrible skin or you know horrible thyroid antibodies that were just through the roof to seeing a lot of normalization, a lot of their symptoms that their quality of their life has improved. So mm -hmm. I always just look at the proof in the pudding. Hmm. Okay. Let's now go to parasites. Thank you for letting me jump around. And Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so now let's talk about parasites on the full moon. Yeah. Parasites during the full moon. So a couple of things, full moon, um, and the evenings. So parasites are more active in the evenings. Um, so, uh, to kind of build onto the full moon. If your symptoms get worse, and I ask this of people listening in, if your symptoms are getting worse around the evenings where all of a sudden you're having like, you're having problems sleeping, your anxiety is worse at night, you have an itchy bum, um, or during the full moon, 
right? The connection with the full moon is that serotonin levels increase. And that's the neurotransmitter that we often um, associate with like the feel good, happy hormone. And parasites thrive on serotonin and they use that neurotransmitter to be able to move more freely within the body. So it's no surprise, at least to me, that when we see that connection, that there is a big connection with full moon and serotonin, because even before when I was talking about how there's a big uh, role with parasites in mental health and those neurotransmitters, well, serotonin's a neurotransmitter and it's technically higher during the full moon and that just causes them to mobilize. So that's a good time to double down and get them out of there? Yeah. So if I was working with someone who was struggling with a chronic health condition, we would do four weeks to, to four to six weeks, depending on the individual and their level of strength walking in, because they might be, you know, just at a point where we have to go low and slow with them because they might be really depleted um, so that their approach might be a slightly different. Um, but if the person's like, yep, I'm ready, I can do this. I feel pretty strong walking into this. We would do, you know, a normal conservative dose in the beginning, I go low and slow, we might titrate up the dose a bit, but around the full moon, I usually go quite aggressive um, on some of the supplements, quite aggressive on some of the drainage uh, tactics that are there. Um, it's the same reason why, for example, if I have someone doing a coffee enema, we're adding Tudka in there just by nature of opening up those, really trying to open up those drainage pathways, because that is a big thing. When people come to me and say, I I've done parasitic protocols, they haven't worked. And I go, either you didn't do it long enough, you didn't take binders, which are extremely important because you have to bind, because remember the toxicity that's released is huge. The chemicals, et cetera, is huge. Or your drainage pathways weren't open or the dose wasn't correct for you. Um, and some parasites are remarkably stubborn. They don't want to leave their host. They just don't. It is better if we eliminate them intact. So for example, a tapeworm that comes out of an individual it's better that we see it intact, right? Like a nice, good, full tapeworm. Um, but sometimes I had one patient whose uh, tapeworm, it was like, it was coming out in slices almost. And it, at first I was like, she sent me a photo of it. And I said, did you eat garlic? Because it looked like garlic cloves. And she couldn't eat garlic because she was allergic. She's like, there's no way I would eat garlic. I'm allergic to it. Like I get really ill. Um, and it was actually what we had come to realize it was a tapeworm because as more were coming out, we were seeing like sections of it that were coming out. And that's kind of really problematic. It's, it's not ideal when that happens because again, the toxicity that's released is so high um, when they're coming out in fragments versus sometimes, and again, these are in the helminth category because they're the worms, but you know, there's some hookworms that we see, they can be up to like 24 inches long. It can be extremely, it can be extremely long. Um, we had one woman who had, uh, who has endo, prior to eliminating a very long hookworm, um, she was having just severe uh, lower gastrointestinal pain. Um, and she's like, I don't know if it's like my, my tummy's hurting or my pelvic regions, it's just, it's hurting, it's hurting. And she'd go to the bathroom and she was eliminating these very large blood clots um, through her stool, which was really interesting and very troubling to think like, why am I eliminating blood clots through my stool? This is not my menstruation. And then right after that had happened, a massive hookworm had come out. And shortly afterwards, she's like, I feel so much better. Mentally, I feel so much better. I have way more energy. Like I just, I, I, I always ask people journal about 
when you're walking into a parasite cleanse, like what are some of the limiting beliefs that you want to let go of? Because this isn't just a physical detox. It's also very much um, tied to our emotional behavior uh, as well. So um, yeah, we have like just numerous photos of things coming out in stool, uh, things coming out through menstrual blood, because uh, it doesn't just eliminate through your stool. Remember, like you have other holes in your body. Um, urine, we've seen parasites come out. Uh, yeah. Uh, the nose as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Oh, my mind. You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah. So it's like, there's, um, you know, you see in Ayurvedic medicine and in India, they do um, nasal irrigation uh, through a neti pot, which is great. I like the Navage. You can get the Navage on Amazon. Again, no affiliation. I just find it really, really helpful. And so when I use the Navage, it comes with these little saline pods. It makes kind of like the mixture of the salt to the water very easy to figure out. So it's just, here's a pod done. And what I like to do is I add a little bit of binder in there because we have so much biofilm, which is that sticky, gooey stuff in our in our nose and also in our digestive tract. Um, and it sort of cleans that out. But I had a woman who had chronic sinus issues and literally it was like an entire little worm that had come out. So yeah, it's, it's not just through your stool. It's most commonly seen through stool, but not just through your stool. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1. I first heard about AG1 on other podcast sponsorships like Joe Rogan Experience, and it really is the number one go-to to cover your bases for nutrition. I take AG1 first thing in the morning. It's part of my morning routine. I wake up, I head downstairs, put one scoop of AG1 in about eight ounces of water. I shake it up and I chug it down. And I know that my nutritional bases are covered. The things that have the greatest impact on your health are the things that you can do every single day and you can stay really consistent with. And for me, AG1 ticks that box. I do it every single morning. I travel with it and I know that my nutritional bases are covered. Since I've been drinking AG1, I can tell after about 15 or 20 minutes that my body starts to wake up, my brain starts to wake up, and it really starts my day off on a really high note. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drink AG1 com forward slash OPP. That's drinkag1.com forward slash OPP. Go check it out. <laughs> you are blowing my mind. I am so glad we're talking because I, I feel like this is the beginning of some some important work that I need to do for myself. I've had this 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 inclination that I that I that I I mean I've I've got a dog. I I eat salmon and sushi and I I'm sure I've got all sorts of stuff in there. I haven't done haven't done a, a any sort of cleanse in a while. I think the last one that I did was like a uh, a vitamin C flush. You know, you did the mega dosing. You familiar with that? Where I got to like twenty four thousand milligrams before I reached bowel tolerance. Um, but that, that was a while ago. Does does that work for parasites? Do you know? Um, it can because you're doing a very big flush. But I think the vitamin C uh titration going up that way is also a really good indication for an individual to see where they're where they're at even from a stress perspective yeah um, I had done something uh similar to that a, a long time ago and at that point I was 
there was a lot going on in my life. So it was really interesting to see how, how, how high I had to go before I actually reached, reached that, that threshold. I think the higher that the dose is, is the more of an indication of, um, really where your stress levels are at, at that point, where your capacity is at, at that point. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Where to go now? Okay. Well, uh, now let's maybe, maybe walk us through step by step for how do we know we got them? How much we got stuff you begin to take things that you do that are heavy hitters. And, and is there, and again, like, is there, cause I I'm familiar with products, obviously like Mectin, which now just got me kicked off of YouTube for saying the word, I might have to bleep that out actually. Um, <laughs> rug uh para x i know these are like products and packages associated with 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 paras parasite cleanses and i know that you have your own that you that you do that you've seen crazy results for i mean talk about pulling out 24 inch tapeworms out of mm -hmm. places um so maybe walk through step by step please yeah so there's a multitude of signs that you could be having them. We've covered the anemia, the autoimmune, uh, insomnia, we mentioned, crushing fatigue, a lot of the mental health stuff, low blood sugar. Uh, we talked about how adrenal stuff could be like mental and physical stress, a lot of liver problems. So on your blood work, it, are your liver enzymes AST, ALT, are those elevated? Um that could definitely be a sign. A really big red flag on blood work is um, high levels of eosinophils. So eosinophils is one of your uh, white blood cells. And so if that's elevated, that's a really big uh, marker of uh, parasites as well. Um, it's interesting because before I went to Mexico uh, last December, my ferritin for the first time in my life was almost normal, which was incredible. And then I got back and I went to Mexico, got food poisoning. Um, came back, did blood work, and my ferritin levels absolutely plummeted right back to like under 10. And I'm like, okay, now what does the rest of my blood work look like? Well, my eosinophils were up, my liver enzymes were up. So I'm like, okay, we got parasites, right? Um, itching around the anus, we talked about that. A lot of nut uh, nutrient deficiencies, food intolerances, um, multiple food intolerances, um, huge uh, one, vibration or humming around the body. Um, persistent headaches. So in Chinese medicine, because my background, um, I, I graduated as an acupuncturist, although I can't call myself an acupuncturist anymore because I'm, I'm not with the board. So I always say background in Chinese medicine. Um, and then I also am a nutritionist. But in Chinese medicine, headaches, depending on the location, can mean different things. So um, issues that tend to be unilateral on the body tend to be more correlated with liver issues, specifically on the right side of the body. So like one-sided headaches uh, specifically are correlated to liver issues behind the eyes because the liver opens up to the eyes can definitely be um, some liver issues, but from what, right? Like it can be from stress. It could be from food. It could also be from parasites. Um, ovarian dysfunction because um, parasites affect our ovaries as well. Teeth grinding and clenching. That's a huge one. I think a lot of people don't correlate with that. So you're thinking, okay, I have these symptoms. I have some of these issues on my blood work. You know, we look at uh, the bioresonance test. The bioresonance test sounds woo, but essentially it's testing for the resonance of various pathogens in the body. And I know that this sounds like really Melissa. And it took me a while to kind of jump on board with this notion of the bioresonance test. But the reason why we ended up switching with it is because parasites don't just live in your stool. 
they can live anywhere in the body. And with the bioresonance test, we were seeing a remarkable amount of accuracy with it when coupled with other diagnostic methods like blood and also a patient intake form because you don't just assess a patient based on paper, you assess a patient based on the person, right? So they all, you have to look at you know the intake form as well. Um, but we will see on the bioresonance test, you know, is there a blood fluke? Is this, is this parasite um, something that lives more in the urinary bladder? Um, where does it live in the body that we might not have seen it in stool? Um, so that's also kind of like looking at the next step of the diagnostic method. So we see it as, as, as various ways as a, as a practitioner. Then we get to, okay, well, what supplements do we use? So I definitely have developed a generalized parasitic protocol for sure. Now, I don't suggest it for everybody because I prefer as a practitioner, obviously, to get very targeted, right? Um, so when I see what kind of parasite they have, then I want to evaluate, well, what type of product do they require for that type of parasite? So the dreaded horse paste, for example, that everyone talks about for uh, parasitic work is really great if you have, say, strongyloides, but it's not going to be effective for every type of parasite. It's why when people on social media will say, well, Melissa, what, you know, isn't black walnut hull great for parasites? And I said, well, it could be, but depending on what type of parasite you have. So I like to get very focused on that. And I think that that's where ultimately we end up getting results. Um, the other thing the bioresonance test does that we really like is assessing the, the function of the elimination pathways. So if I know that there's more strain in the liver and the lymph, then I know that I can add higher dosing of a supplement that's targeted for those organs and non-supplemental techniques like coffee enemas, castor oil packs, things like that to support that drainage pathway, right? Because a big there's several big mistakes which we'll outline that people make that make these uh, protocols ineffective. One of which is simply relying on supplements. If you go into it and go, I'm just taking these supplements and you're spending, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, it's really not going to work. The mm. non-supplemental drainage techniques are vital. So the coffee enemas, castor oil packs are huge uh, for that. Um, I'm a really big fan of cold plunging, even though I absolutely hate doing it. Like I hate doing it. And I know a lot of my colleagues in Chinese medicine just go, oh my God, please. Why are you recommending cold plunging? That's awful. You're, you know, it's cold for women, bad. I would just say to women, just don't do it around your periods or right before your period, because around that time, none of us want to be experiencing cold. It's like you're cramping. It's a cold symptom. You want warmth and heat, right? And nourishing, but we can do hard things. And cold plunging increases resiliency. And I think that's a thing that in our society right now that we're lacking mm -hmm. is resilience. Um, it's not stress management and meditation. It's all great, but resilience is really where it's at. And I think cold plunging is helpful from the perspective of moving the lymphatic system is so vital because we're moving progesterone when we do that. We're really circulating and, and, and boosting the immune system, um, lowering the inflammatory response. Those are crucial. Um, so I go all in when I'm on a parasite detox, breath work, moving that diaphragmatic, um, doing deep diaphragmatic breathing is helpful because it's moving the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system has a lot of trauma stored in there. You got a lot of trauma that is unintegrated, that, that you have not worked on. Parasites are like, hmm. yes, this person is just like weak. They feed on weak, toxic tissue. 
So that's why at the top of this podcast, I said to you, yes, there's parasites in everybody, but are you a hospitable host? That's the bigger question. So if you are a hospital host because you're eating poorly, um, you know, you wake up with your phone, you go to bed with your phone, you know, you're not moving your body, you're not prioritizing muscle, you're not prioritizing protein, you know, all the things that make us weak as an individual, that parasite's like, yes, they mm. feed on that and they're going to proliferate and it's, it's going to be a very big problem in the body. Um, so I think that's one of the, the, the drawbacks of that. Um, using binders is absolutely crucial. I use a lot of cell core products um, and they do have different um, products like, you know, para one, para two, para three, para four. Um, it, but I don't just use cell core. I use a combination of different products, but I use the product based on the type of parasite the individual has. Um, another big problem that I see people do is they're not using or prepping the body with some biofilm disruptors. Biofilm is a sticky goo that uh, parasites will hide behind um, so that they're not detected by the immune system, right? They're really intelligent. So we have to move that biofilm. And uh, the Para-1 is a really good uh, example of a biofilm disruptor. And sometimes you can see some really wacky stuff in your stool when you use Para-1. Um, a lot of really crazy looking biofilm will come out. Um, but there's other great uh, biofilm disruptors as well. Like uh, there's a product called Wobenzyme. Wobenzyme is a proteolytic enzyme. I use it a lot in practice. It's a biofilm disruptor. Um, but I, use, I, I, I used it for, I, I got it suggested to me for the repair of an ankle sprain. Um, I had no idea that it, that, that it had that, that set secondary effect. Yeah. So it is, Wobenzyme is, God, 60, 70 years of clinical trials against it. It's just a phenomenal product. And I always use Wobenzyme Plus because the plus is the extra strength version. So I, people can like use less of a dose because <laughs> it's double the dose. But um, proteolytic enzymes work from the perspective of when you take it away an hour away from food, which is how it should be taken, it eats away at inflammation. So if you have joint pain, arthritic pain, any pain type associated issues caused by inflammation, it's really helpful. It's really helpful during a detox if you are if you're going through a detox and you're experiencing increased levels of inflammation, then a proteolytic enzyme can be remarkably helpful. Like the the protocol that I've been on, I actually had to take about a week and a half of a pause because I started to get really wicked joint pain that I never have. And I could feel my immune system going down because with autoimmunity, sometimes it feels like you're about to get sick, but then you don't. And it's really annoying because you're like, I wish I would just get sick and get it over with. Yeah. But I, it it never caught up. And I'm like, okay, my immune system is clearly really run down. So I just need to take a bit of a pause. And I think for some people, especially if you're like me, where you're type A and, you know, it's sometimes it feels like a bit of a failure. Like, you know, well, I, I, I'm, I'm slowing down. This is, this is hard, but it's like, there's no race to healing, right? It's like, this is actually okay to slow down. Um, so I encourage people to pause if they need it. Um, usually the first step is if you feel like it's too much past that two to three day Herx reaction, just reduce the dose, increase the binders. Binders are really, really important. You can't do a parasitic detox if you're not taking binders. You have to bind to the toxicity and get it out of there. And there's different kinds of binders. Um, 
So for example, uh, activated charcoal, a lot of people know of that. Um, great binder, but it can bind to a lot of really good, healthy flora as well. So I don't love to use it in practice. Um, I do like a lot of the Cellcore binders. Uh, I think they, they, they manufacture a lot of great binders. Like they have HMET binder, which is great for heavy metals. Um, I have some tattoos, so I tend to kind of lean to that. I also live, you know, in the mountains, lots of trees. We get fire season. Trees burn. They liberate a lot of metals because they absorb metals from the atmosphere. So people in fire prone areas are going to be more exposed to heavy metals. So you should be taking a binder even during fire season that is more um, geared towards heavy metals and binding to those heavy metals. Um, if you're on a plane, you're going to be exposed to radiation. There is a binder called VRAD Chem Binder that's really great for radiation or CT scans. Like I've had a, a, a CT scan when I had an ovarian cyst that ruptured uh, and tore off a piece of my right ovary back in 2010, almost killed me, right? So I know that I've had a lot of radiation as well. Um, but they have different binders for different things. So it's really, really, really important to consider that. And of course, as we mentioned right off from the beginning, drainage can't suggest I can't like I can't emphasize this enough it is so important to open up your drainage pathways before during even afterwards hmm. your body is processing so many toxins it's like if you can just make sure that you're draining it's you will live a healthier happier life you will be more clear-headed drainage could be something as simple as like prioritizing more sleep right women statistically need more sleep than our male counterparts um and it, it's it's really important to even just filter out that lymphatic system. So those are some of the, the the big things that I would think about for parasites from how do we have it? How do we test it? Some of the biggest common problems I see and how I typically go about it in practice. Hmm. It came to my awareness recently around uh, parasite cleanses and the fact that sometimes when you're doing a, a parasite cleanse, it will sort of liberate heavy metals that have been stored, right? And if you are not either doing a heavy metal detox in conjunction or prior that you might just like liberate a bunch of heavy metals that have been kind of sequestered and stored and fed on maybe by the parasites that when you get rid of the parasites, then like you release heavy metals. Is that a thing? Yeah. So I wouldn't do heavy metal detoxification prior. The way that I would do it is drainage, parasites, and you can add some heavy metal support. So for example, um, taking a binder that is more prone to, you know, uh, with heavy metals, like the HMET binder would be a, a good thing to consider. But more importantly for heavy metals is to make sure that you are working on the individual's mineral status prior to doing heavy metal work. Because if you simply do heavy metal detoxification, any level of detoxification requires strength from the body. So if you just jump into a heavy metal detox, the person can become very, very sick. So um, really focusing on mineral status, specifically magnesium. Magnesium is poorly absorbed through the gut. So yes, I would still say take magnesium bisglycinate or magnesium malate, still great. But Epsom salt baths, like absorb it dermally or magnesium sprays or a foot bath, like those are really great ways to absorb the magnesium. Uh, potassium, um, very underrated for a lot of people. It is actually better absorbed through food than supplementation. Hmm. Um, so we need about 4,500 milligrams of, of potassium daily. 
if you were to count how much potassium you get in a day, I can guarantee you're probably not going to get that much. Mm. So, um, you know, this is where things like whether it's coconut water, eating beet greens, um, there's various uh, drink mixes, like there's one company called Bumble Root, um, and they manufacture like a drink mix that's pretty high in potassium. Um, medical medium, um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, nor am I trying to throw shade on this podcast, but you know, there was a big celery juice craze, which right. can be super problematic for some people who have issues with oxalates. But I think that the reason why celery works so well is because it has such a, a, a really good um, ratio between sodium to potassium and our cells work on a sodium to potassium pump. So um, if you had a really good healthy stock of uh, celery and it juiced roughly about two cups worth, which is on average is how much it would produce, you're getting probably about 1100 milligrams of potassium in that two glass serving, um, which is quite which is quite a bit. Um, so. I think that working on the mineral status is, is really important. And truthfully, I would be doing that upwards to a year um, before even considering doing deep heavy metal work. I think binding the heavy metals is really important. You can do some subtle heavy metal work, um, but things like chelation therapies and everything else, I think could be really problematic for a lot of people that can cause them to go the complete opposite end. Um, wow. Even considering like, you know, instead of throwing them into a heavy metal detox, like, so for example, heavy metal uh, is a really big topic for people who have thyroid issues like myself. I have Hashimoto's. Um, I also have tattoos. But another important aspect of that discussion is to evaluate toxic halides. So you're thinking of things like, you know, um, chlorine, um, you know, the, the fluoride in our toothpaste, uh, bromine, all these things that actually inhibit iodine from being absorbed, right? Because minerals and metal, like minerals are, they're there in our atmosphere, they're everywhere, but it's a matter of like the balance that we have on our body, how much is our body absorbing of what we actually require? And we all have heavy metals. Like if you live, I don't, I don't know where you're, you're based out of, but like, I, I live like in a town of like 10,000 people. And I'm considering moving to a town of like a thousand, like right in the bush, you know, I'm like, cool, really far from all of human civilization. But mm -hmm. it, my heavy metal detoxification might be a little bit less, but if I lived in a city or during fire season, it goes back up again. So then how do we thwart that? Well, we do a parasitic detox and we make sure our elimination pathways are open, but specifically to sweat. Like sweating is huge for metals. It's huge. If we're just trying to eliminate, our bodies are so remarkably intelligent. We don't give it enough of that respect to think our bodies can't eliminate a lot of these metals. Many of them. Some of them are a bit more stubborn than others. Like lead is definitely a, a harder one to eliminate because it displaces calcium in our bones. It gives our bones a form of strength. It's a shitty form of strength. Um, but then as women's and men's bones break down um, in their latter half of their life, that can lead to dementia. So certainly you can do chelation therapy, but I think a missing link to that is really considering the mineral status prior to walking into something like that. Otherwise you risk them getting very sick. Mm, that's the first time I've heard that, that, that but it makes to total sense to me is you want to, you want to arm the body with the right minerals so that when you're doing heavy duty stuff that you're not just crushing your mineral status and making yourself sick, depleted and tired and 
out of balance. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the fact that you say like maybe even up to a year before you do heavy metal uh, chelation therapy is is really interesting to me. I mean, it's, I mean, I'll be honest, it's, it's overwhelming, you know, yeah. it's like, it, it's super overwhelming and, and it, it almost sounds to me like a time bomb. And I think about the, the people closest to me, you know, myself, my wife, even my kids and, you know, um, the, I follow the detox mama on, uh, on Instagram and she's talking about these protocols for her children and dark circles under their eyes and, you know, sensory sensitivity and bumps on the back of your, your, you know, upper arms for children and stuff. And it's like, it's just, um, it's just one more thing for me to stress out about, but, you know, as, as I, as a, a, a biohacker guy who gets, you know, blood work done, you know, a couple times a year and I sweat buckets at jujitsu, I still eat sushi. I still have a dog. I still, you know, jump in rivers and lakes myself. And, and I can't help but wonder like, what am I, what sort of a time bomb am I sitting on? Um, because I have, haven't done any of this work yet. I think the biggest thing to understand, and then I hear it a lot of people expressing overwhelm, and I empathize with that because it's legitimate. The thing to that I try to reframe people when they feel that way, and what helps me is to consider these are just opportunities waiting to be addressed versus being like, there's just so much for me to do. Because when I talk about causative factors, people will say, oh, there isn't one thing. There's multiple things. And I'm like, yeah, but that means there's different opportunities that are there for you. Yeah. Healing is a lifelong process. It's why I think that when we think about healing, whether it's for us or for our children, it is a lifelong process. And the physicality of healing versus the emotional and the, the psycho-spiritual part really are one in the same. They're all lumped in together. And I think that the more that we try to pull them apart and just be like, okay, I'm going to take supplements because I got these physical issues. It's like, well, how is that actually manifesting in our belief systems and how we think, feel, think, and believe, you know? Um, but I think versus feeling overwhelmed or seeing it as like, you know, this is a ticking time bomb. Versus being like, there's all these opportunities. And like, honestly, your our biggest flex over the age of 40 is being in good health. It's really, we're far above average most than, than most people that over the age of 35, people are not in good health if we looked at the, at the average individual. Yeah. So you're like far for, further than most people, right? It's just, there's always going to be these opportunities to be touched upon, whether it's like, the physical things that are, you're like, ah, I got this weird skin thing, or my kid has the dark circles under the eyes. Okay, well, what can we do? Oh, cool. There's this opportunity that we can actually address this. Um, and I think that it's going to change your perspective walking into it versus feeling the angst walking into it. Because when we feel that angst walking into it, remember that these pathogens thrive off toxic tissues. And what creates toxic tissues is not just what, what we consume, but also how we think. Yeah, how we how we think about even how we think about what we eat is big. I I um my internet friend um uh, Dr. Tommy John, who's a chiropractor, I think he's retired now, or it's just a vagabonding around mm -hmm. around the country. He's like a sad salad is worse than a happy donut from time to time. <laughs> it's like you know, life meant to be enjoyed. Like yeah. it is. You're not a bad person because you had a glass of wine. Like you know, I've seen people, you know people in the health industry where they, I don't know, they, they posted that they had a glass of wine or somebody and someone's like, 
it's a neurotoxin, even one glass of wine. Like, yeah, I yeah. get it. it. It plummets your HRV. I've seen the effects on my HRV and my aura ring. Like I'm a huge biohacker as well. Like I get it, but life is also meant to be enjoyed. Do I drink even a glass of wine every day? No, but sometimes I want to enjoy life a little bit and live it up a little bit. And that doesn't make me a bad person or in less health because, so I have a viewpoint about health and luckily we can swear here, but I don't talk about so much about consistency because I think, especially from my perspective, being so type A is every single time that I try to worship at this altar of hustle, worship at this altar of consistency, especially having an autoimmune condition where some days it's just not a reality where I'm like, this is, I, I can't, I can't do this long of a workout or I, I can't even do the workout because like I'm struggling today. I would beat myself up so badly for that. I changed it and said, okay, well, fuck consistency. I'm going to focus on being committed instead, because when I'm committed to something, I always end up going back to it. I'm committed to my husband. I'm never going to stray. I love him. I've been together with him for 11 years. I'm committed to myself means I love myself. So if I have a glass of wine or I have, I don't know, something that I shouldn't have or what have you, I can have that because it's not going to be the end of the world. I can always go back because I'm committed to myself and my bounce back is going to be so much better because I know I've been doing the work because I'm, I'm continually focused and committed on myself that we just cannot look at our bodies in such a linear way. Life is very fluid and we have to rock with that. And that means commitment over consistency. Yeah. And that, and that sort of flexibility of mentality, I'm the same way type a, I, you know, I get, I, I beat myself up and I have high standards for m most things. And and it's like, well, there's a, there's a point of diminishing returns where you're just obsessing over the thing that you're putting in your body or the, the workout that you did or didn't do, or, you know, you didn't, you didn't cold plunge today. You didn't meditate today. It's like, dude, just get over yourself. Like, relax, go take an Epsom salt bath, read, read a book, chill the fuck out because the, the risk of you, you know, redlining is bad too, you know? Like, yeah. Because it is actually also toxic for us to go into this complete orthorexic state of trying yeah. to get everything right and perfect. Like I read a lot. I read a book a week. And I read probably a fiction. And then the next book, I'm reading something for work, self-improvement in that kind of genre, right? So I was talking to a girlfriend of mine. I love her to death. And she didn't mean anything by this. But she goes, oh, yeah, you, re you read quite a bit of fiction. I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I tend to read for a purpose. And I said, <laughs> I said but I do read for a purpose. I read for joy. Yeah. Oh, I like and that. I think that like, we get so focused on improving and betterment that is it that bad if we just slow down and spend the first half of the day under the covers reading the day that we decided we're not going to, you know, I don't know, meditate that day. Maybe we decided we're just going to cuddle up with your kids and you're just hanging out with them and having that art of doing nothing. Does that make you a bad person? No, it just meant you slowed the fuck down and you enjoyed life in that present. It's like the Buddhists would meditate on today, I'm going to die. Today, I'm going to die. And the reason why that they meditate with that is because to show the absolute value of our life in the present. Mm. 
Mm. And we're constantly in this state, an obsession of betterment and getting better and better. And I think it's admirable in so many ways because I am that person too, don't get me wrong. But I think it can be also remarkably self-destructive because all we're doing is no better than just worshiping it at that altar of betterment, of hustle. And it's not healthy. Right. Well, and I think for for folks like you and I who are so purpose driven, mission driven, we've we've made it our job, made it our life to beat the drum, tell the others, find the others, share wisdom, you know, help, guide, grow, coach, lead, all this stuff, and and that's a serious undertaking, you know, especially when 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 you do have an audience and you have people that are kind of relying on you or at least appreciating you for the things that you share. And it's like, well, I'm wearing this badge of, you know, this badge of purpose. And so, you know, you, you've got to be impeccable, but that, that again, like you got to relax too. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta schedule in time to do nothing. Yeah. Um, we're so hyper-focused on it, even to like, you know, and I think you may have heard the, the, the saying of like, you know, the five people that you hang around with, like you were, and I remember saying that to, um, one of my mentors and she's like, that is the, the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard. I'm not the reflection of the five people I hang out with. I am the reflection of who I am. Hmm. And it's just, I think that we just get so caught up in that betterment circle that it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's admirable, but at the same time, sometimes we have to pull the reins and go, well, what is it that we're doing this for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Outside of, uh, I just enjoy, I enjoy the, the content that you push out so, so much, uh, outside of the, the, the parasite, I think I need to let that breathe a little bit, <laughs> you know, I need to like ugh, relax a little bit, do some research, do some preparation for it, kind of, you know, um, take it in stride. Um, you, you also post a lot about nutrition, especially for women and, um, and, and how food is medicine and, and which is obviously in alignment with, uh, with your background in training in, in, um, in Chinese medicine, you know, what are some, what are some sort of general approaches to food as medicine, you know, taking pictures, eat, you know, raw liver is, is, uh, something that gets me excited, frankly, cause I love it, but what, what, what sort of little tidbits of, um, wisdom do you have for us when it comes to using food as food as therapy? I think, um, I don't think people are, I don't think women are eating enough protein first and foremost. I know that that's a big uh, thing right now online. Um, Dr. Gabrielle Leon has, has incredible research on that whole topic. She's wonderful at that. Just had her on the podcast, recorded with her on Monday. And she's fantastic. You know, I know she's coming out with a book, um, I think that's a huge part. Um, you know, I was in Bali in 2019. I had small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and I, you know, Bali is like smoothie bowls and vegan and everything. And I, I remember I would eat that and I would be in so much pain. And I, at that time thought, why am I not getting pain in the morning when I'm eating this like all protein breakfast at this breakfast spot? So I decided to try that for lunch. And it was like someone turned off the pain switch. So I think that food can be remarkably healing, especially for people who have a lot of gut disorders. Um, an animal-based diet can be really healing because it's very low histamine. Um, I subscribe to an animal-based diet. Um, the majority of what I eat is definitely focused on, on um, I mean, mainly beef. I have like half a cow in my freezer. Um, but you know, I, other things that I eat is like, I, I do eat vegetables. Um, but I think in the beginning, when someone has a lot of chronic health conditions, a lot of digestive issues, there's certain vegetables that might be very problematic for them that 
have a lot of anti-nutrients, whether those are oxalates, um, you know, grains have uh, phytic acid in them. So certain things that they might want to avoid, they might want to just sort of stick more along the protein, um, the low anti-nutrient vegetables, um, fruit also can be uh, really, really helpful. Um, that's kind of where I generally start with people um, is prioritize protein more than anything and then prioritize versus just like, I'm just gonna eat it at one time of the day probably not a good idea because you'll see the increased rates of sarcopenia there. Um, I don't really necessarily think most women should be fasting. Um, just because I, I, I just don't think women do very well with fasting. Um, I think men can probably get away with a bit more, but we're different than you guys. Um, so, you know, if you're someone like me, you, you are on desiccated thyroid medication. I take my thyroid meds in the morning. I have to wait an hour before I eat. And then I'll have some protein in the morning. Um, but to me, that is super nourishing. I don't think a lot of people are super um, loving the whole um, organ meats, although I think they're super beneficial. Um, you know, I I would say like supplement uh, various organ meats, whether it's like liver or like I take blood vitality from ancestral supplements, um, which is a really good iron support. Um, but there's so many different ones that I think, you know, those whole food ways of getting in our micronutrients are really great if you don't want to eat them, <laughs> which I understand because like, you know, if anyone's ever tried kidney, it tastes like pea. So it's not exactly something I would love to like consume. Right. But, um, yeah, I'm all for an animal-based diet in short. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, my, my wife and I both really focus on protein consumption and, you know, it's, uh, mostly mostly meat, some, some fruit and vegetables, you know, and yeah. car carbs, carbs occasionally. Um, this has been such an eye-opening conversation and, you know, it's really kind of started, I think the, the, the journey, the rabbit hole for me to do more research. Uh, before I ask the final question, which is a fill in the blank question, uh, where can people find you? Where, where would you have them go on the internet to learn more? Um, so on social media, my place that I'm most active is Instagram. So they can just find me sexy food therapy. Um, that's where they can find me. Um, and then my website is sexyfoodtherapy.com. But you know, where you'll probably find me interacting more is on Instagram. So I would say to head over there and say hello. Awesome. Great. So the 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 last question, it really it can really be based on anything. It doesn't have to be specific to parasites or or anything in particular. And you can elaborate as much or as little as you want, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Wow. Everyone would benefit from knowing. I would say everyone would probably benefit from knowing themselves on a deeper level. And I think that that's a lifelong exploratory piece of work. And I think knowing yourself on a deeper level isn't just into meditation. It's about doing a lot of the things that you promote on your podcast, you know, bettering yourself from a physical perspective and understanding the journey of it throughout is knowing all your quirks and kinks and all the things, uh, you know, how your suffering had value, like all the things that make you as a human, forget all the influences outside the people you hang out with everything. I think everyone would be much better in knowing themselves better as a human and potentially just stopping for a moment and listening more. If we, I think as a society, if we listen more rather than being so bloody reactive, because nobody can say anything or have an opinion, I think makes it really difficult to try to get anywhere in this world. 
Oh, that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> that's so great. Well, this is fantastic. I really appreciated uh, your time here. Melissa, thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me.